Bags and Blazers. I'm your host, Aaron. Um, today we will be talking about a few things, mainly dealing with a little bit of history, a little bit of current events, and kind of the connection of the two as it comes to current NATO-Russia relations and current NATO-Russian uh, strategy. Um, so we'll dive into history first. When we only get that in this first episode, I like to keep be short um, and then pick that up and pick the, a little bit more of the rest up in a later episode. So we'll get started. Welcome to Mind the Gaps. The first gap we will be talking about, um, actually, we're going to kind of go through a quick overview. So a history of the Cold War is a history of standoffs. It's a history of movement without movement. It's a history of action without action. It's a history that confounds, to be honest, um, that the United States, uh, that NATO stayed out of a hot war with Soviet Russia and the rest of the Warsaw Pact for 40, 50 years is impressive. I mean, yeah, we had some conflicts, but no outright attacks, no nuclear exchanges, no anything outside of proxy wars in South America and Latin America and Africa and Asia. I mean, there was things, um, you know, U.S. supplying um, weapons and training to the Mujahideen in Afghanistan, uh, Russia backing Viet Cong um, in Vietnam, um, China and the United States having proxy war um, through the Korean War. Um, and we still see these conflicts today, but no direct outright confrontation, no nuclear exchange of what we all feared during that time, no Russia storming through Germany, no Russia taking England, no U.S. attacking and seizing Baltic territories, nothing like that. So what we come to is we have these places, these strategic points that we thought were going to be the hotspots. We had Fulda in Germany on the inter-German border, 30 to 40 miles of valleys, easy to transverse by tanks, by armor, by cavalry, by mechanized infantry. Not great for infantry itself, but great for the mechanized, great for all those things that you thought were going to happen. You read any Cold War history, um, fake history, you know, Tom Clancy's Red Storm Rising, um, Howard Coley's, um, just slipped my mind, Team Yankee, uh, Chieftains, Red, um, there's another one I'm losing track of right now, but you see any of those and Fulda is this point. Fulda is that starting point, is the part where we are going to see Russia rush in. Get it? Russia, rush in. Oh, bad dad joke there. But um, we are, well, that's where we would see that main striking force go through. Uh, normally, thoughts were that, you know, seven day to the Rhine um, plan. If you've ever, if you've seen the new season of Jack Ryan, they discuss it there. It's a little off from what it normally was. Seven days to Ryan was going to be a strategic tactical nuclear strike on the borders with a rushing of uh, Warsaw Pact forces through the Fulda Gap, getting to the Rhine and holding that territory as a negotiation point. It wasn't a 
full-on strategic nuclear war, as most of us thought. It was a tactical European regional conflict that would have taken all of Germany and no attacks on France because France um, wasn't going to be part of that NATO alliance at that point. So they, they were going to leave France and England out of direct attacks because nuclear powers, they would, you know, get the full impact, but they knew that NATO wasn't going to start a nuclear war over a conventional invasion. And if we look at current plans of how things were going to be, that's pretty true. Um, I mean, there was thoughts that, you know, NATO initially that they maybe have a first use. If Russia was so overwhelming with the conventional forces coming through Germany and up through, you know, the, the northern part of Europe right there, there might be a first use to slow it down. The point was to drive to the negotiation table, to bring a stalemate at some point. It wasn't full world conquest, as we had heard from the Leninist and Stalinist of the, you know, from the 20s to the 50s of the Grand Soviet plan. It was a detente, but with a Soviet advantage. The other gap we, th we hear about is the GIUK gap. This was North Atlantic. This was Greenland, Iceland, United Kingdom. It was the thought of where Soviet forces would be coming through from their Baltic Sea Fleet. It was where submarines would traverse. It was how they were going to, and there was lines there that could be cut. Another big point of Red Storm Rising is this GIUK, uh, GIUK gap. Um, it's where we saw most of the North Atlantic warfare in that book. It's also where we thought we would see most of the North Atlantic warfare on the sea and, you know, in a probable World War III. So gaps play this huge, huge part in Cold War history. You know, it if there was an attack in August 1985, um, like one book I read, it would have been, you know, 52 to 77 degrees in Fulda, you know, high, average highs. It would have been not rainy season. It would have been the time to hit. It would have been the time that NATO was least prepared. It was right before reforger exercises that were very common in the 80s. Um, it is right before we would see that buildup of forces in Europe. U.S. forces would be coming back from a summer break. Uh, they wouldn't be as prepared, wouldn't be as full. Russia knew that they could have a strike of the seven days to draw the U.S. to the negotiation table, to draw NATO to the negotiating table, while also gaining a bigger buffer of territory to protect their strategic interest in the Baltics and Eastern Europe. And that brings us to modern day. Why does the gap that is there now because we know there is one a gap as general ben hodges says isn't something to be plugged it's something to watch so we're not plugging these gaps we these will be strategic places for us to attack if need be uh, but the gap that is the most common now and general hodges has pushed this if you don't know anything about general ben hodges i recommend reading um, some books. I'll put some links in the notes of this uh, to some of his work. But General Ben Hodges um, was commander of uh, U.S. Forces Europe. And he saw this place that was going to be 
the fold a gap of the modern conflict with Russia. The Suwaki Gap. Suwaki is a region in Poland that is very flat, very easy to traverse, and not heavily fortified. Um, it is a connecting point between Lithuania and Kaliningrad, the Russian stronghold um, that just sits right on the Baltic Sea with no land route except through Lithuania. And as we saw with the most recent Russian aggression uh, war, Putin's three-day war that is now in day whatever it may be, 240, um, we see that he, uh, when Lithuania closed that to Russian traffic, it was a, could have been considered an act of war. Um, you know, this is how Putin, this is how Russia has supplied this major military base that is really just a fortified city um, that houses nuclear weapons in Western Europe um, and is a threat to many um, of those nations, including Sweden and Norway and the Netherlands and Germany and Poland. So this is an area that Russia is protecting and has a great strategic importance to them, if not just a great importance of national pride. This was a, this was a space they won from Germany in World War II. A brief history of the, you know, World War II. So Germany loses. That's kind of a given of where we're at right now um, in looking at this map. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, if not, I will post this in the podcast notes so anybody can look at it. Um, but what we're seeing is a map of Germany post-World War II, 1946, zones of occupation. There were one, two, three, four, five, six zones of occupation within German territory. Um, that's not including the reclaimed lands of Poland, Czechoslovakia, Austria. Um, and of course, you know, the British side is bordering the Netherlands. The American side is bordering, bordering Austria, Czechoslovakia, um, also bordering East Germany, um, and which was controlled by Soviets and Polish Warsaw Pact forces. So this is 46. This is before we get back into the really deep dive of the Cold War, but this is kind of giving us an idea of where we're at. Um, so if we are looking at a map of Germany, we are looking at this line that runs um, from Mecklenburg down through Saxony. This was where we saw the main concentration of Soviet forces. Berlin was smack dab in the center of East Germany, of this Eastern controlled Russian Soviet controlled section of the country. And so we have this line that runs through U.S. forces were were lined up among it. Now, if we look at a very certain area where we're seeing very level terrain, it's right at the third third Thuringen and Saxony area. That's Fulda. That's where the gap was. That's where we see that U.S. forces would be having to defend, as Americans were the main ones here, and British would be defending the North. U.S. forces would be having to main the main line of defense of Soviet forces coming through, aiming to get to Frankfurt. 
Frankfurt, the aim was for three days. The aim was for the Rhine over towards the border with Belgium, Luxembourg, Netherlands. That area would be seven days. And this was to provide the Soviets this level of control, this level of um, negotiation to truthfully gain back more territory of Germany that they thought they deserved post-World War II and to expand their sphere of influence past Poland, Czechoslovakia, which technically wasn't Warsaw Pact, but, you know, aligned themselves variously throughout the Cold War with USSR or NATO um, and maintained a symbol of independence along with Austria, Switzerland, Sweden, and of course, Poland um, was a Warsaw Pact country, very Soviet influenced. And if we look in a corner of a map that I have here, the zones of occupation, we'll see on the Baltic Sea is a place called Konigsberg. Konigsberg became Kaliningrad. And that's where this area over here that we don't see on the map is where we are going to see at the main point of contention in our modern day NATO-Russian conflict. So that brings us to the Savaki Gap. This region between Russia, well, not technically a Russian, but it's Kaliningrad and Belarusian forces. So you have Russia, Belarus, you have this little section of Poland and Lithuania that is has this gap um, that is forming this border gap between Russian military forces. We know Russia. They like to be together. They see them, you know, Putin sees himself as the next Peter the Great. He wants a giant Russian empire. So Lithuania, NATO member. Poland, NATO member. Latvia, NATO member. Estonia, NATO member. Germany, NATO member. Sweden, soon to be NATO member, Denmark, NATO member, Ukraine, NATO ally. So where is Russian forces going to go if they want to reclaim this land and maintain a bridge between their military presence in Belarus and their military base and population in Kaliningrad? Well, that gives them one choice. Suvaki. This is a land that is very prime and ripe for a conventional invasion. And Russia would use the same reason they're using Ukraine, that this is a very Russian or Baltic area of Poland and Lithuania. Now, we've seen more intense um, rhetoric since the you know, Ukrainian offensive has occurred um, against Lithuania. Russia, you know, Putin sees Lithuania and Latvia as traditional parts of Russia. His his mentor, who he's kind of fallen out of favor with, and it's kind of fallen out of favor um, with some within the Russian establishment, but still is the uh, the main. Um, I would say, ideological um, 
guru of Russian military and political thought, um, Alexander Dugin, argues in his book, um, The Essentials of Geopolitics, that Lithuania is Russia. It, that the creation of Lithuania was not a a homegrown idea, but it came from a Western Atlanticism influence. So, ideally, and I, I we see this more or less likely now, probably because Russia has failed so miserably in Ukraine um, and is fighting for its life in so many ways that why would they want to bring in more NATO presence? Because an attack on Lithuania is an Article 5 um, violation, which would bring all of NATO force into play. Um, but historically, we'll, we'll stick with this, and it still can be a possibility. We There may be some hidden hand we're not seeing, and especially if Belarusian forces join in with this. Um, General Ben Hodges, as commander of armed forces in Europe, U.S. armed forces in Europe, saw the Savaki Gap as this major strategic, like, weak area, like the weakest part of the chain. That Savaki um, had very small amount of forces in there, and Russia could easily run over that with both sides from Kaliningrad and Belarus coming in and essentially block Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, the Balkans, um, the Baltic states, sorry, the Baltic states um, from the rest of NATO and, and create a crisis that we're frankly not really prepared for in that area. Um, so if you've seen any of the more recent NATO exercises, we'll see that they are um, they're taking place. Lots of them are in the Savaki area. A lot of them are um, in Vilnius um, in Lithuania, the capital of Lithuania. Um, that borders, you know, a very large military presence in Belarus and what is essentially a Russian satellite state. Um, and if Russia had completed its conquest of Ukraine like it hoped, I have no doubt that Lithuania would have been the next target. So that kind of gives us the idea of why these, these gaps um, are important, whereas the Fulda Gap was an, an area that was weak and was going to be an area to plug. Um, the Savaki Gap is an area to protect because we wanted to make sure that the, if in the event of a conflict with Russia, Belarus, uh, we want to make sure that that Kaliningrad and Belarusian areas don't connect, you know, to create this, this, way to resupply Kaliningrad outside of the sea. And we know that, you know, NATO sea naval forces greatly outnumber Russian. And we have seen the quality of Russian naval forces with the more recent fire um, on their one lone aircraft carrier. Russia's basic card at this point is, is nuclear. And that it is the one thing that keeps them considered a major power. Um, but I'm a I'm a historian in in lots of ways, and and watching this happen, it still makes me wonder if there is some um, 
way that we're going to see a breakup of Russia into separate territories or that we're going to see a more united Russia um, with the fall of Putin with not a less dictatorial leader coming in, but perhaps a more of a war mongering one, um, a person like um, the head of a Wagner group or um, the leader of Chechnya, Kadyrov. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next um, few months, how the winter months treat this uh, Ukrainian-Russia conflict. And, you know, as we dive a little bit deeper, how the Slovaki um, gap area is is so still very important in our way, in our view of what a possible Russian NATO conflict, but also how keeping it a fortified area is a protective measure against World War III. So where does that leave us? Where does that leave um, us as historians, us as um, people who are involved in world politics, people who are just following what's happening and care greatly for these countries that could be greatly affected by what we see as Russian aggression. Um, like we said, it, we're trying to prevent World War III. We're not wanting to start it. So we want to temper World War, I mean, temper Russian aggression while also maintaining a more defensive posture and not an aggressive posture. And maybe we don't have an answer for that right now. Um, and maybe that's what we will explore over the next year, two years, five years. Um, I have a very, I, I do care a lot about Russia. Um, I care a lot about, I, I focus a lot on Russia, uh, but I do know that we have many, many enemies out there. Um, speaking as a, as a NATO American. Um, so, I, I mean, I know that China will be a, a great threat and we have to enter, we really need to find a way to enter a detente um, with them over the next five years. Um, so we don't see a great increase in conflict there. Um, we need to figure out Taiwan. Um, we're going to see more um, Chinese influence into the Indo-Pacific um, and a combination of Russian chutzpah, um, to say the least, uh, with Chinese technology and desire for expansion um, could be dangerous. Um, we could see the beginning of a new Cold War beginning to form a lot more um, through that union. So until next time, stay preppy out there. I appreciate everybody's input and desire um, messages that I got to come out with a new episode. I do apologize. I have battled, I feel like a sickness every couple weeks, it felt like. Um, but I'm glad to be back. I'm hoping to do these on a more regular basis. We're looking at maybe a format change of adding another person in here. Um, I would love to do some interviews. So if you have anybody that you know or would love to hear from or a topic uh, dealing with Cold War, with diplomacy, with uh, Russia, Ukraine, or even with our Indochina 
issues that may be coming up soon, uh, please reach out to me. Uh, you have my email. You can leave a comment here. Please like and subscribe. Uh, please leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hope to talk to you soon. As always, stay preppy.